was a tough time, and I don't know, what, every time I look at y'all, I almost start crying. I don't know what's going on. Um, I was okay when I was over there, but um, the Lord has healed our grandson, and um, I wanted to let you all know that. We were concerned he might be stillborn, and we had everybody praying, and um, God has answered our prayer, and I'm just so thankful. Thankful for your prayers, thankful for what God has done, and God is so good. Praise the Lord. So I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah, praise the Lord. Just keep praying, obviously, keep praying. Uh, wow, this morning uh, I'm going to talk to you about growing in Christ, and I've just been thinking about how holy God is, and while we were singing, I was, I, I, I don't know, I'm just one of those guys I like, I think I'm, I'm just wowed by certain things, and I was thinking of his holiness, and I remember going to Greenville, I don't know if you've ever been to the Greek festival, but it's so good. And uh, I love that stuff. I love to eat Greek food. And I love going on a tour through the church, St. George's Orthodox, Greek Orthodox Church is what it is. And um, that is, it's such an amazing event. I remember going in there. We were on the way into the building. And on the way into the building, there was a step out in front. And it was off to the side. And somebody asked what that was, and they said, well, it is the old altar of the old building. So they had this altar gated off, and nobody could get over there because it's sacred ground. I mean, when you start thinking about this stuff, you start thinking about God's holiness, I think what happens is we come into church and we're so close to it, aren't we? We're so close to each other, it's, it's easy to lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. It's so easy to lose sight of his holiness because we're just used to each other. We're used to this building. And I thought to myself, when those people went to another site and they put another altar in, they left that altar because the idea would be that this was where God was meeting his people every worship service. Maybe they were like us and they did a lot of work with the Lord right here on the altar. And just like the people in the Old Testament would put an altar up when God met with them, they were amazed at what they experienced and the little taste of God that we sang about this morning that God has given to his people. Because God is so holy. And if you remember several years ago, we went through 1 Corinthians and we, 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 we were amazed at the holiness of how our togetherness is so holy. And I, I think I even titled one sermon, Holy is the Loaf, because I saw us in that holiness that we were the bread of Christ. When we meet together, that it, it, it's like we're Christ in the flesh again. And those types of things always move me, and I have to work very hard because we are so close to each other to remember that God is holy, and what we do in here is so holy. You know, if we buy into that, we're going to be holy people, aren't we? We're going to be a holy people. When I was in Indiana several years back, it's been more than several years now, but I was riding my bicycle, and I was riding in, on the country roads, and I, would, I, would, I could ride long distances, and 
I, I just enjoyed it so much. And I was riding with my wife's uncle, and he and I were hitting it off. We were riding 30 miles a day. Now, I'm just going to tell you, riding 30 miles a day is not the same as riding in Indiana, is not the same as riding 30 miles a day here in South Carolina. There's a little more hilly terrain around here, so I would say it'd probably be, I'm going to guess the equivalent of 15 miles. But having said that, we would talk about the Lord, and he wasn't a Christian. And we just talked about the Lord. If you've, you know I'm going to talk about the Lord. I, I love the Lord. We're, we're going to talk about him. And we, were, we would ride all over the place, and I was sharing about what God does in my life, what he's been doing for my family and I. And one day, I, we were at his house, and he started talking to me about Jesus, and he said he wanted to receive Christ as his Savior. So I prayed with him. He received Jesus as his Savior, and we were just so grateful. And at those days, we were in a small church in Indiana. I was the youth pastor. And I remember when I left his house, I thought, well, praise the Lord, we got someone else that's going to come to church. He's going to come to our church, and there's just one more we can get into the seat of that church because we were so small. And I'll never forget, he went to the Baptist church. And I was like, what in the world? And I was like, what? Lord, I, we needed him because we're so small. We needed him, and I was the one who did all the work. And now this pastor that I don't even know is going to be ministering to this man. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's a little funny. But it's taken years for me to grow in the Lord. And don't fool yourselves. We pastors are never where we're supposed to be. I like to pretend like maybe I'm where I'm supposed to be. But you better believe God has lots of work to do inside of me. And one of those things was to, un it was to remind me that I did not shed blood on the cross for my wife's uncle. He was not my pupil. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was bought with a cost. He was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what I had to do is I had to somehow, and this has happened, I've grown past that, somehow just being in South Carolina. It took several years to get to a place where I could say, these are not my people. These are God's people. And you better believe in youth ministry you, is, is what the way youth ministry is run. I can tell you that is, that is high competition stakes taking place there um, because we better believe when you're a youth pastor, you're very um, frustrated when somebody comes and tampers with your teens, right? You, you don't want them touching your people, right? So... This is one of those things that I'm sharing with you because I have to grow in Christ. And thank the Lord he delivered me from that and I've grown beyond that. I understand that the people of God are not my people, they are God's people. If I had a growth chart, remember those growth charts? Of course now we lay the babies on this sheet or something, right? We take pictures on Facebook, put a baby doll by them and we just measure how they're growing and stuff. And this is literally what we used to do when we would take the pencil and we'd write on the doorpost or, or the doorway. And somebody would say, well, you've grown two inches since the last time and 
you'd just be like, yeah, I know, I'm just getting so big, you know. But we're still, we're, we too, we're supposed to grow. And so in our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at that a little bit, and we are reminded of what we've been learning so far, is that in the course of 1 Corinthians, if you remember all the way back to chapter 1, I said this book is written to the sanctified people, the church. This book is written to believers. It's not written to the world or the people down at the, the local bar or whatever, because if they're not believers, they don't really care what Jesus has to say. But this is written to the Christian church in Corinth. And so what's happening is Paul now is teaching them about making sure they're united. Many times when I do premarital counseling with people, one of the things I like to do is go to the book of Ephesians, and I've said this to you in the past, I, it's almost like a funnel. What God is doing is he is reminding them how important it is that we are united with each other in the body of Christ. And as he goes through and inspires Paul to write, it almost funnels down to where he gets to talking about or teaching about marriage and life in the home, okay? But what I always have found fascinating is that we understand how the home is supposed to be run, but we don't spend a lot of time from our pulpits talking about how the church is supposed to be because it would seem that if you're going to be equally yoked with somebody who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you would want to make sure that you found your spouse in a place where they understood how to treat each other in God's church. Because not only are we practicing for heaven, right? We're practicing for heaven, but what we're also doing is we're actually beginning to help by practicing for our home life with the people that we will marry. This is what I would assume is the, the agenda that God has for each house. We learn to love each other in a proper way by attending church with each other. Because remember what I said, it is so close to us. We are, it's, we're so close to each other, it's easy to miss the holiness of who Jesus Christ is. And sometimes it's that way in the home. It's easy for my wife to miss how beautiful I really am. She's too close to it. And so that's what happens. So this is what's happening. We need to arm ourselves with this. And I know it's a time that we should arm ourselves with these things because we do live in a time, right? We live in a time where we have all of these Christians who are so divided amongst themselves. And I, was, I, I really touched on this the last week or so. We talked about this division that's taken place. And so we have mega churches. We have people who say, uh, instead of saying, I'm of Apollos or, and, and I'm of Paul, I might say, well, I, I follow Rick Warren. Or you might say, you follow Craig Groeschel, if you're familiar with these people. Or some might say, well, I follow John MacArthur. There's all of these different things that are taking place. And everybody has their own little thing going, right? And this is a problem because at Corinth, it was seeping into that church and that church was having a problem um, by dividing. Instead of being united in Christ, they were divided in the people that they were buying into who they thought were great leaders. You know, to me, what leadership is, I'm just going to throw this out there. To me, what leadership is, 
is having courage to follow what the Lord says to do and inspiring others to do so as well. It's not me having some type of massive wisdom that God has given me. Because remember, what we've learned is that what God is doing is he's replacing that piece of me. He's trying to get me to become reborn inside because if I could use a computer term, he wants to put a new motherboard in me because the world has this type of wisdom that says only these people who are gifted like this should be followed and don't listen to anybody else, whatever it may be. But what God is doing is he's trying to get me to live by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. And not only dwelling within me, but dwelling among us, in us, in the people. Because as holy as that step is, or that altar is, in Greenville, the St. Orthodox Church, yes, God was holy, that was holy ground, but let me tell you something that's more valuable than that. It's going to be y'all. This is what God's in it for. So I'm talking about growing in Christ, and what I want to do is a little bit, I was going to shorten this down, but we might as well just read it. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And with God, or Paul has been talking about the two different kinds of wisdom, the worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God. And the world's wisdom is foolishness to God. And so I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 3, and you can just follow along with me. I have the NIV. This is what it says. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God for, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. These are all plural yous. And he goes on, he says, By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, someone else, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring, to light, bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You should highlight this. 
and that God's spirit dwells in your midst, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Long passage, but you need to have the context. So let's look at it. First thing I want you to see this morning, those who are growing in Christ will leave flesh behind. This is an interesting thing, because we've been talking about this. He is wanting to put a new me in there. He's recreating He's creating a new me inside because he's given me the spirit. We've talked about this in Romans. It's called being born again or regenerated. He is putting a new person, someone who is becoming holy, inside of me. Someone who is not bound to the world's wisdom, who thinks differently. For instance, like Paul said, he said, some of you are quarreling, some of you are envious, some of you have strife, it's all within this church. And what he's saying is, look, all of that stuff that's going on where because of your love for different leaders that is creating all of this division within you, this is the wisdom of the world. And so what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you have to leave your fleshliness behind to grow in Christ. You have to say that you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within you so that you can have the mind of Christ. Remember that from last week? Not just the mind of Christ, but the mind of Christ that actually influences you with his wisdom. And what is God's wisdom? It's going to be that we love each other. It's going to be that we don't operate under the influences of that carnal nature, that sinfulness that sometimes we go right back to where we were when Paul says in other scriptures, he'll say, you know, I have to crucify the old man. We used to say back home, we would say, our flesh is creeping up on us. When we'd start to become less holy because we started operating under the influence of way the world was around us. And within that influence of the world, it means that we're going to sometimes find ourselves being jealous of each other or sometimes we'll be quarreling or if you want to, you could go to the Ten Commandments and you would say, well, what are we doing wrong within the Ten Commandments? You might say, well, we are coveting what someone else has within our group. Y'all see that. And what does that do? It creates division. I've often said, um, the way sometimes we... I guess, portray our churches and we try to reach the masses, we almost market things, don't we? And what we do is we say that we have something else that you might want. <laughs> Think about what I'm saying here. And what's happening is I'm appealing to those who may be disgruntled 
or may be envious of someone that they may go to church with. And I'm saying, come and get what you really want here. And what that does is it brings division. And you know what that means. When that happens, we're, not, we're all not growing together. We're not growing in Christ. And so when you think back to what I said to you about my wife's uncle, um, I wanted what the other church had. I wanted the numbers that they had. And what was so frustrating is that I wanted to add one person to our flock because I wanted to have a larger church because I was envious of what everybody else has. And that alone was causing me not to really grow in Christ because the envy and the strife that was in me, which actually would drive me to talk against them. Y'all see what I'm saying? And the crazy thing is, I'm not the one who shed my blood for any of y'all. Jesus did. You heard what Paul said. You are God's field, and you are God's temple. And in fact, he even goes so far as to say, basically, the co-workers who are just co-workers, the Baptist preacher was a co-worker with me, we're God's too. Y'all see that? Because we have to be united. I'm going to get off this. I'm going to move on to the second thing. But I want you to understand that if God's church was united in the United States alone this morning, where would Jesus Christ be? He would be at the forefront. There wouldn't be any of this division that's destroying us as a people. But if we were united, everything would start to go along a little bit better and we wouldn't be acting like, as Paul says, mere human beings. We would not be doing these things. Because mere human beings, if you remember, we operate under the wisdom of the world that says, you're so envious, you need to do something to get what you want from your neighbor. And that creates the division. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. Those who are growing in Christ recognize God's activity. This was a tough one because I didn't know how to make this sound cool, to be quite honest with you. I just said, well, let's just say God's activity, which was God's activity among us. Because what a lot of Christians need to be reminded in a, on a regular basis, because remember what I said, we're so close to it, we can't see it. What we have to be reminded of is that God is so holy and his activity is working among us. Because when we're guided under the influence of the world's wisdom, like I was, right? And I looked over and I said, the Baptist church has 100 people, but we only have 20. And that's what was so frustrating, right? And if I'm guided by that wisdom, what I'm going to say is that God must not be working in my church. But here's what I want you to understand. You go all the way back to chapter 1, and what Paul says is this. He says, you've, you've received all of the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, you, Corinthian church, you have everything you need right now to be able to become a holy people of God. 
and the Lord is working in your midst, and you know he is, because when I shared with you the seed of the gospel, and I said, Jesus Christ has to be the foundation, believe in him, he said, you believed. And I'm assuming he's talking about Apollos. When he came along, and we know that he, in the book of Acts, was a gifted speaker. And he was a great teacher. He had charisma, probably. And he also has the spirit. But when they are picking and choosing leaders that they want to follow, what he's going to say, or what is, Paul is saying, is that God's activity can be seen because the foundation was laid with the seed. And now what Apollos is doing is he's watering the seed and building upon that foundation. So what's happening then is that God's activity is actually, it can be seen right through the both of these co-workers in Jesus Christ. Because we knew, and I've already mentioned it, everything is God's. The people are God's. The workers in Christ are God's. And he says, listen, whatever they build, if it's built with worldly material, then it's going to perish when the Lord returns, right? I remember several years ago, I, I walked into a church in Oneida, Tennessee. Um, there was a group that used to play at our old church, and they were, they were solid, right? They, they were good. They would go down and play in Tennessee for another church, and they, we, we happened to be going through there. They invited us to come to church. And so they told the preacher that my wife and I were Westlands. This was a church of God, I believe. I'm not real sure. They told, they told the preacher I was a Wesleyan pastor. And the preacher from the pulpit said something. I've never forgot it. He called me out, and he said, Brother, I hear you're a minister. He said, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you we will agree. He, get, he goes, whatever you tell me, I will eat it like a fish. I will eat the meat and spit the bones out. That's what he told me. I, I, I really had to, I mean, it's, it caused me to think for years, what in the world was he making fun of me? Was he saying I was wrong? I have no idea, but I think there was truth to it. Because whatever someone teaches, we may not have it all figured out. But here's the thing, what is real will be recognized. We will see the activity of God in what somebody's teaching. It will be built upon the foundation of Christ. And what God builds is going to stand. So I can rest easy when my wife's uncle goes to the Baptist church. What's happening is he's probably going to add to it. He's watering the seed, and he's building on the foundation that was laid. And guess what? He nor I, either one, we're nothing. We're nothing. Because the holy thing we're not holier than anybody else. What's holy is you all. You all. So now we're establishing a little bit of context, right? And so we were talking about the rate of, I'm just going to go ahead and say the rate of suicide. That was in Pickens County this morning. And I, I shared already that basically that we're ahead of the national average. And I'm just going to show you something in Scripture this is probably one of the most misinterpreted or misused passages, especially for youth pastors. We're going to hopefully 
learn how to understand this in a better light this morning, but this passage where it says, those who destroy God's temple, God will destroy, right? So the idea in youth ministry was to scare the kids to death so they wouldn't do anything to harm themselves. Well, first of all, I want to tell you something. You're never going to scare somebody into doing something that they're supposed to do. You know that, right? But you can love somebody into persuading them to do right things. Always remember that. You can try to use bullying or whatever, coercion, but God uses persuasiveness. He persuaded me with his love for me first so that I would love him back. This is how it works. And because I love him back, I then want to obey him and do all the things because he's rewiring me on the inside and I see the wisdom in what he is teaching me. So when you look at a passage like this, one of the things that is going on is this, and I'll show it to you. Next thing. I forgot to tell them move on. Those who are growing in Christ love God's people. The idea right now in this passage is that we who are growing in Christ because we're being rewired on the inside because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, we are loving God's people as it is in heaven, it will be in the church here on earth. We are loving God's people because he loves them. And we see the wisdom of God, which is I love God and I love my neighbors, and in principle, they'll, my, I know my God loves me, but in principle, my neighbors will love me back, right? So this is what's happening. But Paul has said something that's important here. So we've got context here. He's given some type of warning, and I think it's a little bit broader than trying to scare a bunch of teenagers into not harming themselves because we were talking about the sacredness of the church, the people, not the building. Yes, I'm always wowed when I think of that altar step, right? And I get it, and there's so much symbolism in that church. I could just sit in there for hours and just think of all the ways that that, that the church is decorated so that I can be brought into the presence of God. They are aids, right? But the real thing is right here in this building. It's the people. And what Paul has said is that those who are intentionally misteaching or creating havoc amongst God's people with the intention to divide, God will destroy them. That tells us something. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to just sit up here and just start doing stomping and preaching and spitting about the people. They're going to hell if they do this stuff, you know. But what I want to look at is the idea is how important we are to God. I think that's really what's being said here. That God loves us so much that we are so sacred that if, if, if he sees us as sacred, what would it look like if we were seeing each other as sacred? Then we wouldn't be so close to it. We would be amazed at the sacredness and the holiness of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's a concept. 
So instead of me looking at this, this altar that's outside the church then, and, and being like, wow, God's holy. This is amazing. This is holy ground. What would it look like if I said, and I look out at all y'all and I say, wow, this is holy ground because the God that dwells in me dwells in you and what makes this building holy is your presence and God's presence here together, united as one. I wonder how much work the Holy Spirit could get done in people like me who go home mad because the guy that I led to Jesus Christ went to another church. I mean, I can't make this stuff up. But this is what we do. Somebody has something, somebody does something, whatever it is, and then it creates strife and it divides us. You remember when I, I remember when I first moved here, you know one of the funniest things I ever heard was um, every time a church splits, it's a church plant. Does that go with what we just read? See, what I think's happened is that we've gone to church so long in all of our lives that we are so close to it, we can't see the holiness of what's going on around us. We can't see what God is doing because we just know each other so well. But if I'm going to grow in Christ, what I have to do then is I'm going to have to say, when I catch myself saying, how can someone go to the Baptist church? I did all the work, right? Can you imagine this? I did all the work. This isn't the only time this has happened, right? And I would just get more angry about it. I never, I'd love to say I learned right after the first time, but there's been several times this has happened. And finally, what I thought to myself was, well, if I'm going to, be strangled spiritually to death with this jealousy that I've got going on in me. I've got to figure something out here. There's something wrong. If I'm looking at the people in the right light and I understand whose we are, then I'm going to lay aside my envy and my strife and my fighting with my Christian brothers and sisters because I'm going to recognize I'm being a little bit covetousness, or doing covetousness. I shouldn't even brought that word up. I can't pronounce it. So I'm doing these things like coveting. And so what I need to do is I need to allow this rewiring process inside of me to put to death that coveting attitude. And you remember what I've been telling you the theme of this book is? Why not rather be wronged for the sake of Jesus Christ. So then all I have to do is say, so what if I'm not getting everything I think is coming to me, right? Isn't that really what I'm saying? It's okay. Because Jesus is being glorified as he should be. And his church is being recognized as holy as she should be. I can replace that. 
I can even go so far as to say, you know what I'm going to do when I feel like maybe God's not doing anything among the people, then what I can do is I can say, I'm going to sit down. This is almost Henry Blackaby stuff, if you're familiar with him, experiencing God. I'm going to sit down, and I'm just simply going to look and see where God's working around me. Once I see the activity of God in my life, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to join in with that activity. You see what's happening. God's a great uniter. He's actually uniting me through his work because we see it as holy. And the field, the building that Paul's talking about, it's holy. And then I can say, when I find myself not really thinking the right way about my Christian brothers and sisters, I can say, you know what? This isn't mine. These aren't mine. They are his. And because they are his, I'm going to love them because you know what? I really can't do any of the above that I just talked about unless God's rewiring me to love him and love my neighbors. How am I going to give forgiveness for real? How am I going to let little things go unless I actually have determined that I'm going to love someone? You know what would happen? I think if we got back to seeing the church as holy, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here, we get back to thinking the church is holy, and we start to understand because the church is holy, we start treating each other in love. We're not going to be perfect now. Y'all understand? We don't have to be. Because in principle, as long as I'm loving you all most of the time, hopefully you're all loving me back, right? And this is really what I want in my life. Once we do that, I honestly believe, just like I tell these kids in premarital counseling, they're not kids, they're adults. But I tell them, I say, you know what? If we can learn to love each other in church, we're going to love each other in the home. That's really what's going to happen. Because I've been practicing all my life for this next stage by going to church and learning to love and grow in Christ. And if I'm growing in Christ in the church, then I'm going to grow in Christ in my home. What would Pickens County look like now? It'd be crazy. You know, we wouldn't have to take the impact offering anymore, would we? To give to these ministries that are ministering to people who are coming from broken lives because they would see how the world's wisdom of living amongst these people who are always angry, jealous, fighting amongst each other, they would see how foolish that actually is. And they would say, the Lord's people know where the real wisdom is and that wisdom works. And they would want to be a part of us. So right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you're at this morning. But I feel like the Lord is just, he's been speaking through his word. And I feel like he's touching me right now. I can't be the only one. 
Obviously, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is the moment to do so. You could come and kneel at the altar and receive him. I will pray with you. If you're someone this morning that just needs to have a deeper love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for your God, then ask him to help you to do so. He will. Tell him you recognize those things that are taking place in your life right now that need to be put to death. Ask him to help you. Father, we come before you now. We're just amazed at your word, Lord. We're amazed at your wisdom because we know it works. We know it's the right way. We love you this morning. We love to learn from you. We love to be reminded. We love to have you put us back in center, in the center of the road, Lord, as we should be. Help us, Lord. Help us as your church to always be mindful of how holy we are, how sacred we are to you and to each other. I pray, Father, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice struggling with anything I've said this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit would help them, that the Holy Spirit would speak to them and preferably through your word, Lord. Let them read it for themselves. I pray that you go with us now, keep us safe, bring us back again Wednesday and Sunday, Lord. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. God's people said, amen. Dismissed.